call the enemy. The enemy is poverty. Wall keeps out the enemy. We build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. We build the wall to keep us free. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the thirty-second episode of Material Analysis, the podcast. This is your host Chandu, and joining me today is Comrade Bella. The name of this episode is Malthus. This episode we would be talking about the politics of population control in India, in particular the recent population control bill. drafted in the indian state of uttar pradesh so bella what can you tell our audience about this bill and what does it state well from everything that has been commented upon in the news media we we, we get a full sense that um the up government is first of all in a big hurry to pass this bill um they're not giving much time for comments um uh, but the bill itself is going to apparently increase uh you know uh, accessibility to contraceptive measures um as well as actually uh you know promote uh, to, to child family and and offer better access to abortion facilities all of which on paper actually sound sound quite progressive um and in in many ways seem to be addressing uh sort of lack of access accessibility to healthcare that women have often struggled with in many parts of rural india um but uttar pradesh doing this at this current time obviously uh says a lot about you know the kind of communal moment that we're in the undertones have already you know declared themselves to be very much concerned with say the increase in the muslim population and the fact that the hindu population is at risk of being endangered or something like that because the muslim birth rate is higher um lots of debates about birth rates have continually fed uh, you know sanghi propaganda across different platforms so this the, the bill is being received with a lot of suspicion by uh, progressive factions and i think rightfully so and of course there are sorts of longer legacies with population control in india not least of which is the emergent the indira gandhi government's um and sort of sterilization campaigns and so on um that have sort of shadows um with with what population control has looked like in india um and and people are rightfully suspicious about you know um, what kind of state intervention this looks like whether it's coercive whether it actually um is 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 raising awareness consciousness and actually allowing women agency over their bodies and re- providing reproductive health rights or if this is uh, a lot more sinister so in some ways the bill is already shadowed with all of these questions and there's a lot of rightful skepticism from from those of us on the left about what it represents um because of all of our you know uh, histories uh, very bad histories of uh, population policies both international and national so to give you a bit of details about the bill its goal is to reduce uttar pradesh's fertility rate to 2.1 per 1000 by 2026 and 1.9 by 2030 right now the fertility rate of uttar pradesh is 2.7 per 1000 uh to talk about the issues with the bill there are aspects of it which as uh, bella has said can be considered progressive 
it encourages individuals to go for voluntary sterilization gives them jobs promotions increments then there are aspects of the bill which can be considered coercive and regressive individuals with more than two children are debarred from applying to government jobs mm-hmm. promotions and subsidies now uh, the problem is that these things uh they run contrary to the spirit of the article 14 of the indian constitution uh, now another thing is uh, on a more pragmatic note there are two things first of all people uh, who generally have more than two children the sort of people the disincentive wising policies will affect are already people on the margins they are poor people mm-hmm. and you would be punishing them for basically lack of awareness which is very common in people in poverty mm-hmm. and the second thing is that as soon as you give this disincentives these very strong disincentives there will be a clear and present danger to girl children in yes. the extremely patriarchal Yes. the interesting point is that do we need this bill in the sense that are we facing a population crisis of sort and somewhere later in today's episode let us talk about that in fact because ultimately we do not want to be talking in an ad hoc manner the point isn't here that population control in general is an excellent thing and just because it is happening in a violently right wing state it is bad it has been seen historically that population control policies in general even when they emerge from progressive uh, you know impulses has proven to be both bad and wrong headed uh, on the last point of uh, uh uh girl children being in danger this is not something that uh, uh i'm saying you know as as an assumption there mm-hmm. are multiple studies on the demographics of uttar pradesh which shows that uh, for example there is this paper called democracy and demography societal effects of fertility limits on local leaders by abhishek chakravarty uh which uh, investigates this issue and uh which finds that in communities where there is already a bias towards male children in sex ratios the fertility limit policies make that ratio much worse so we have had many such studies uh about uh, how uh, these policies affect girl children um, one of the more uh, famous studies was a 2010 paper on chinese uh, one child policy and its effect yes. on girl children so i i would touch upon what has been happening in other countries as well now uh, the question is that uh, are there other states in india 
which have this sort of uh, fertility limiting policies yes there are rajasthan madhya pradesh maharashtra gujarat odisha and assam have some kind of similar policies interestingly in five of these states uh, an old study 2005 study found that these policies resulted in a rise of unsafe abortions and sex selective abortions and mm-hmm. also at times men simply alienating their wives uh, uh, or divorcing them uh, when confronted with uh, you know having more children so that is something that cannot be ignored because that has already been measured many many times uh bella do add yeah i also was going to add that we have also heard in recent times really horrific stories of forced hysterectomies happening as a way when women actually uh, turn up in you know gy- uh, obstetrics or gynecology clinics with with reproductive health issues that they go under the so they have been recommended surgery and without their permission have had their uteruses removed and the bulk of these women were um, dalit and adivasi women if i'm right actually lambadi women in, in karnataka especially from what i'm aware of this was uh, often considered to be a quote unquote good medical practice because these women when they protested afterwards were later on told that well you already have three children why do you need the uterus anymore and so on and so forth so medical malpractice already exists with reproductive health in india on a scale that is almost always you know justified through this this logic of like you know you have enough children and we should we should reduce our population so this is a this is also a kind of effective contraceptive method or a birth control method now these are all horrific you know uh, incursions into people's rights this is uh, women's reproductive health rights are severely violated in these conditions they are not either advised uh, appropriately by medical authorities about the complications of the procedure whether it is necessary what uh, co- consequences it will have on the reproductive health over the next few years there is no community health or uh, educational incentive there um, this is not how reproductive health has historically been successful uh, reproductive health initiatives have the longest uh, be- have the best long term success when their community health and education efforts uh, along with socio economic development so that people make informed choices about family sizes how many children they want to have uh, what sort of contraception they want to use and so on and so forth instead you have the state making laws and rules about you know contraceptive measures and and sort of this very sort of uh, persuasive slash coercive medical establishment pushing them through um these are just outright you know uh, actual incursions into uh, people's human rights and that's honestly been a, that has a very sort of sketchy history in india already so without in- interventions in that area as well you know how are people accessing healthcare have they had the right kinds of information are they able to make informed decisions when none of those issues are also addressed and you are adding more medical policies here that en- endorse certain you know uh, medications or interventions in birth control um, it's highly dangerous i mean any expert many experts have commented on this bill already with these issues they have pointed to uh, problems with healthcare access that already will be exacerbated if you actually now push the line of having fewer children without you know uh, any other any other sort of interventions being made by the state so so yeah adding to that female feticide is going to be a huge side effect of this because obviously the moment you make contraception and you know um 
abortion facilities available um without actually addressing you know uh, the big elephant in the room which is patriarchy um you are not going to be able to convince people that you know uh, having a you know a girl child is uh, not going to be at, uh, at a heavy cost to them um the logic of saying well if i'm only going to have two children then i want the you know the the child both children to be male it's that you have to tackle that ideologically and systemically at a level that uh, is huge before you can then say okay but here is you know you have abortion available to you and china has proved this right the the whole missing woman syndrome in china that has been documented right now the the huge disparity I mean, it's not just yeah. china also right like yeah. we we have a whole history of this in india it was the so called voluntary sterilization movement yes. under indira gandhi yes and we see how that operates what it does to adivasi women yes. and uh, we have entire villages being forced to participate in those programs by the way to remind the audience that any policy which attempts to divide access of individuals to government jobs on basis of voluntary sterilization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is probably in violation of article 16 of the indian constitution which promises equal access to employment so mm-hmm. there is that as well but coming back to the question leave aside you know leave aside india's historic conditions leave aside the peculiarly uh, horrible and reactionary environment of uh, is population control as a policy is there anything good in it and i would like to make the case then there isn't but for to make that case it's important to go to the history of population control uh, of how uh, and why this thing became so large uh, policy uh, all right so to give our uh, audience an idea it's not that it's a very modern thing even historically various civilizations at various times have thought about managing their population having a healthy amount of young able bodied men meant enough cannon fodder for the various bronze era and iron age warfare that was going on or mm-hmm. having too many people often meant diseases in the highly unhygienic cities that used to exist around that time we see um, policies on population control and management being something existing in ancient india china rome etc uh, however uh, this uh, this thing becoming a real uh, political project we do not see that till the very 20th century idea of uh, of malthusian growth thomas malthus Mm-hmm. one of the first political economists in britain writes this book called the principle of population his logic is simple and actually if you think about it simplistic mm-hmm. given the geometry of uh, natural resources given the finite nature of them population increases at a geometric ratio while the geometry of resources remains finite this leads to conflict disease war famine genocide etc etc this theory is fundamentally incorrect as any you know economist born in 
19th century or later would tell you because as everybody from adam smith to karl marx realizes that the amount of stuff you make also increases with population people do labor and and as you know indians are famous famous for inventing that phrase demographic dividend more yes. young people you have the more productive you become thomas malthus's theory would have been buried a long time back had not the moral panic around population restarted in the 1960s so in 1960s uh both the progressives and the environmentalist crowd in america became really ca- concerned with the population and this was because of this book by paul ehrlich the population bomb mm. um, this book basically restated the malthusian argument it said accurately that human population has risen exponentially after the industrial revolution it never really you know explains why that is bad aside from the standard lines on environment and food security completely forgetting by the way that most of the damage to the environment is not because of all the people having demand but there being a uniquely unequal amount of demand from various groups of people and also that as far as food security and energy security etc is concerned again those things are not static and those things can also be managed um, there are of course academic rebuttals to malthusian and and you know in the more modern sense uh, paul ehrlich's theory the fact that uh, resources are not really near their limit rather they are mismanaged by the current political economy mm-hmm. also pretty much a lot of uh, uh, predictions such works have made have not really come to pass and also and this is important what has been observed throughout the world as bella had mentioned that increased prosperity education access to healthcare etc mm-hmm. leads to degrowth of human population leads to falling of population which makes sense like even yes. if you look at you know all all kinds of earlier populations and even non human populations of animals the more precarious a community's existence is the more children are produced with the idea that some would survive when existence is not that precarious population sinks and we have seen that not just in the more wealthier uh, developed capitalist economies we have even seen that in the east asian economies which have recently become much more prosperous mm-hmm. so the idea of using coercion to stop people from producing remains extremely wrong headed and and as has been repeatedly demonstrated produces uh, more problems than it solves uh, 
but also I, i feel like one of the dangerous things is the appeal of malthusian logic right there is yes. something with every planetary crisis that happens i mean climate change uh, debates for instance constantly bring up the population uh, population growth as the sort of you know boogeyman that is um, that the third world population growth is really what is going to exacerbate climate change to another level um, and this every now and then you'll have some idiot on twitter you know uh, who is usually an economist and has some you know sketchy data with graphs and things like that put something up and say again that maybe the the, the population control in the third world is really the only thing that's going to help control this um, so there's really like the, like this this idea of you know the the people as hordes down in the global south as consuming resources endlessly that seems to be an image that really likes to be peddled by a, a basically racist you know <laughs> eugenicist um, yes, and yes. the solution and, is and we should and and, yeah. and you know uh, just because you mentioned that mm-hmm. it's important to remember this is not a metaphorical statement a yeah. lot of this kind of logic was there with actual eugenesis of that era so like even the whole uh, push towards population control contraceptives etc it it was it was embedded wi- within the eugenics movement and it's important to extricate the more progressive good parts about it because a lot of that is very ugly and does approach this idea of you know controlling the population bomb at any cost yes and Yes. And also so, a lot of foreign aid. I mean, the more you read about the international population, you know, policy projects like I think Planned in Planned Parenthood's international wing which is called International Planned Parenthood Federation, US aid has several population uh, control strategies. The targets are clearly Africa and uh South America, you know. It's very clearly the bulk of that aid goes to the third world with this with a lot of this, you know, uh, the report the language of these reports is very much that people people are ignorant they're sexually promiscuous um they they have reckless sort of you know uh disregard for uh, uh for for you know having families and things like that and that they basically need international intervention to control populations in these countries without which these countries will not progress that is the logic of a lot of these international ngos as well that would often say promote abortifacient pills right as as a way of saying that it's progress we're going to send all these abortion pills over to the quote unquote third world um as a way of population control i mean this is just straight out racist even though it is not from a eugenicist um uh you know it, the, the eugenicist roots are there but they're very cleverly masked in this language of you know development and so on so it's yes. you have to be very careful when you come across this this kind of agenda yes, like you know? like very funnily enough that whenever these um the discourse shift to oh they're going to harm the environment or consume too many resources <laughs> is very conveniently forgot that you know the global north uh, consumes many times tens of times more energy yes. than anybody from india or china yeah. does so yeah. uh, that sort of stuff conveniently misses out on everything else and individualizes the problem of consumption which mm-hmm. as we have always held in material analysis is bad politics yes now 
also i would say it individualizes the it individualizes the solution of population control in the of in the bodies of individual women so it's like saying every woman should have access to the pill or an abortion clinic um rather than think of these as community collective efforts um and, and it's very much about empowering the woman you know, like a very neoliberal idea of the empowered woman right she has um she has a pen in one hand she can drive a car and she can access abortion like this idea of that that being the idea of progress right um but yeah sorry to interrupt go on um um this reminds me of a, a very interesting line by uh, i've forgotten by whom somebody had said that uh, you know what is one of the most like effective ways of population control distributing mosquito nets to like poor people oh yeah right? because uh, uh, it's a way to uh, protect children and when children get protected automatically the uh, number of children decrease because there is not much incentive to produce a lot of children so yeah. uh, uh, so like let's actually look at one concrete example of why a nation wide coercive uh, fertility control uh, policy can get very ori and we are of course talking of the famous 1979 to 2015 one child policy of china mm-hmm. now to be fair to the chinese the one child policy was not unlike commonly believed in india and other places because of well our ingrained uh, ignorance and racism about everything chinese uh, it was not enforced you know at the barrel of a gun or any such thing coincidentally i have a chinese friend and she is the second sibling in her family mm-hmm. um, the two methods that were adopted one was disincentives uh, uh, like the sort we are using in india right now not have not letting people take uh, certain uh, uh, certain uh, um, essentially financial disincentives right mm-hmm. uh, they had like also, a fee didn't they they, they you had yes, to pay yes. you had to pay government. money uh, for for getting a second child uh, and and the money was uh, 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 was a significant amount of money for a lot of poor people mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the there was a lot of uh, mandatory contraception sterilization policies at first as well so mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of pushing of iud's uh, 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 sometimes this led to over like we have seen in india overzealous uh, illegal uh, acts also were uh, uh, have have happened and have been recorded um, there were some uh, positive re- reinforcement as well mm-hmm. incentives in cash and other material rewards for sterilizing yes uh, and uh, there were mandatory sterilization Yeah, uh, 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 after two children, uh, mm-hmm. legally you you were sterilized if you gave birth to two children. Um, I believe 
eventually uh, this was relaxed. Now, what do we observe? First of all, uh, abortions rose and because abortion was frowned upon, there were uh, enough bad abortions that in 1995, uh, China had to like issue a warning against like uh, incessant abortions as a method to stop the pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were many pseudo-scientific, uh, you know, uh, abortive medicines and all, which would be really bad for the health of women. These used to be taken. So uh, again, like PRC government multiple times warned against the use of such, uh, you know, at times lethal uh, things. Eventually, uh, in modern times, China, of course, now has birth control pills, morning after pills, etc. Morning after pill uh, is the dominant method of contraception in China. Mm. Uh, And of course, in modern times now, you have increased sexual education, etc. The propaganda uh, department uh, was very active. So essentially, there was a lot of stuff that happened throughout these decades. Uh, Eventually, in 2013, this would be relaxed and uh, uh, due to many reasons. Uh, In 2013, there was the third plenum of the 18th Central Committee of the CPC. There were some studies also at that time which demonstrated bad demographic effects of Mm-hmm. what China had done and mm-hmm. hence they decided in 2013 to relax the policy and get rid of it by 2015. So from 2016 to 2021 there was a two-child policy and in 2021 uh, so uh, so uh, uh, I don't know if the two-child two, two policy is still there but I think uh, they used it to a three child policy if I'm right I think that the, has the, uh, uh, that happened this year only May yes. 2021 it was scrapped to a three child policy mm-hmm. now uh, there are a couple of things which we which we observe here one of the stated goals of the one child policy was this whole environmental problems right mm-hmm. We have seen, really, it has had no effect. Ultimately, the consumption, if it is more by a lesser or a stabilized group of population, yes. the impact on the environment is going to remain the same. And as a population becomes more uh, prosperous, its yes. consumption will improve, uh, increase. So you to manage that, you need all kinds of policies. Just trying to reduce people is silly uh, by that standard. Secondly, yes. due to the uh, one-child policy, we see in China an incredible amount of old people who now have to be taken care of by a relatively smaller number of young people. This has become quite a problem in China. Remember, a society which does not really have a lot of welfare. So, a uh, lot of old people are not going through 
good uh, uh, you know good post retirement life mm. while similar uh, uh, one child policies have not existed in other east asian countries because of their decreased fertility same problems with old people can be seen in japan and south korea as well by the way again examples that you do not need coercion and you do not need all of this as a country becomes more uh, prosperous and access to healthcare increases the birth rate decreases yes. any yes uh now another bad result of the one child policy as bella has mentioned was the extremely skewed uh, sex ratio at birth um the sex ratio in mainland china is uh more than 117 to 100 yeah uh, so uh uh, uh i don't created a whole generation what is it currently yes sorry yeah, it's created a whole generation of surplus men right like men yes, who could not find women to marry basically yeah now, some of these figures are exaggerated yeah uh, uh the chinese national population and family planning commission said 30 million more men than women in 2020 this is definitely an exaggerated figure but there is a problem especially a perceived problem in uh, chinese society and uh, also uh, like uh, there is the fact that there would be births which was uh, which would be accidental in many cases right yes and even if the government does not have coercions against that social ostracization used to be a huge thing in china yeah. again anecdotally one of my friends has a sibling one of my friends from china she was bullied as a child um there is a you know uh, there are apparently sign boards in rural china in uh, herbei sichuan such areas uh, which like announce that it's forbidden to bully and discriminate uh, you know such children so it was eventually recognized that uh, this was a extreme social problem there was a wave of abandonments in china hundreds of thousands of children abandoned by their parents in shame mm. and this sort of problems ultimately the chinese state had to solve because they were the ones who had accidentally ended up killing the uh, accidentally creating the problem again like the thing here is that you know this cartoonish image of china we have yeah. where this is this was all very evil it wasn't they mm. genuinely started from a good place but the effects it created were quite brutal and that is the thing i was talking about that it's not necessary that you know people who are thinking of this policies are necessarily eugenicists or fascists or something mm. but it's a bad policy and it creates violence in society it's also kind of a useless policy because there is really no danger of a population bomb mm. we have enough resources we just don't know how to properly manage and consume them so uh that is the chinese case uh 
there is a uh, popular movie uh, about children brought up in china under the one child policy by me the sky if you have not seen it's a 2015 movie mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty good one if you want to uh, see it uh, you can mm-hmm. um, Uh, there, there, there is also a novel which I remember reading on this issue, but I've forgotten what it, what it was called. I'll try to remember later. So that is all about China and uh, yes. its history with this policy, and it should be a good warning case. But uh, Bella, like I mentioned, that uh, a lot of like progressives in India have also been pushing for population control and uniform laws. they they look at it only from that communal angle that it should be uniform for hindus and muslims but i think frankly that is also wrong way of thinking about it what are your opinions oh 100% i mean like i said any kind of population me- control measures um never seem to actually take in the state of community well being their socio economic status access to healthcare overall um all of these are extremely important when you start thinking about what population control measures actually involve uh because without that what you're essentially doing is that it becomes like a nanny state right you are in some ways uh, instructing people about what is the better thing for them to do rather than making informed choices themselves and this obviously will almost always target people marginalized groups very heavily um and uh, it's 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 recorded it's documented so even if you're progressive and you think that population control measures are a good idea thinking about it not as a way of like keeping numbers contained but on people's actual well-being um that should always be our agenda like people should never be compromised their their lives and their livelihoods should not be compromised um for the sake of a better number right um so on some level population control measures almost always prioritize the numbers over over say people's actual well being particularly women's reproductive well being and that's something that you know is at the core of this because um if the women themselves are not making informed choices if they don't get a, a a say and an opportunity to improve their lives across the board not just through reproductive health choices then the putting the entire onus on reproductive health as the way to change things becomes entirely wrong headed um so there is i i don't think there is a way to feasibly be progressive and support population control At the end of the day you want to support women's rights you want to support uh you know people's uh rights to, rights to have whatever kind of family they have because the heteronormative family is not the only way to also have a family right um we want to be able to enable all of that so a genuinely free society will not see population control as a solution of sorts um it's only a sort of you know short term strategy brought up by extremely wrong headed people Uh, who who don't seem to understand the consequences of such things so so, so yeah so on a brighter note uh, if we are looking at like progressive measures uh, contraception in india is used many times over than it was in the past like mm-hmm. uh, almost 50% we have reached right yes. and uh, uh, as far as uh, our uh, uh, rate is concerned uh, we are uh, the fertility rate is yes. currently 2.3 and the uh, ideal uh, replacement rate is 2.1 and we are decreasing quite rapidly by the way so yes. if i mean it doesn't even like this is not a problem that that is what a lot of people do not seem to get that um, family planning is actually a useful idea because 
especially with women's right and their health and things like that mm-hmm. population control is not and if yes. we keep pushing family planning and if we keep pushing resources to family planning population control will take care of itself yes. but coercing people is not going to work now uh, before we end today's episode uh, i would also like to talk a little bit about a what is going around the world and b up's specific politics so let's actually take the issue of what's uh, going around the world right mm-hmm. uh, most developed countries they uh, they have incentives but they do not have coercive practices benefits etc are what are given uh, yes. china is used to have a lot of coercive practices but now as as we have talked about they are relaxing it um some countries hilariously enough have pro birth practices because these are countries with shrinking populations like japan etc and their villages depopulated right yes. uh, some countries have spacing policies you are uh, obligated to space your children by certain years mm-hmm. uh, 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 interestingly enough uh russia also is thinking about pro birth practices because they are also losing uh, population mm-hmm. um uh, singapore has an aggressive uh, used to have at one point in the past an aggressive uh, sterilization policy and then it swung to an aggressive pro birth policy and uh now it actually pays you a lot of money to have children so there is that as well uh also i feel like um in a lot of ways the, the successful family planning efforts have often been very local which means there yes. is no one one plan one formula that fits everyone yes. right uh, very yes. often it is community health experts working within those communities identifying the problems within that region um, and then responding to say what women and men and families there have been you know struggling with uh, whether it's contraception methods whether it's actual you know socio economic indicators all of that so in some ways population not population control family planning measures are often more successful when they are rooted in the specific you know conditions of that that region that space that culture all of those things so in some ways um globally speaking if you start looking at case studies i don't think you'll find that one thing alone has ever worked for any society it's often people working organically and working on the ground who who are able to figure out at the grassroots level what a society needs to confront before it can actually uh be empowered to have the kind of families that it wants and yes. to make sure that everyone is you know uh, nobody's rights are violated and nobody's you know being coerced into a, a con- conjugal or familial situation that they don't want so uh finally let's talk a little bit about the particular politics of uttar pradesh and mm-hmm. why we think that this policy is also meant to target muslims like this idea of muslims trying to replace hindus by outgrowing them which is a comical idea this is mm-hmm. very common in indian conservative circles and 
it is used to dog whistle and scare population so i think that is something that needs to be mentioned that uh, th- this is not in isolation there is a there is this you know the indian version of the great replacement theory which is mm-hmm. a, which is a which is a, this uh, fascist idea that minorities will replace you mm-hmm. so bella do you want to talk a bit about that i mean i think um the fact is that there have been a number of other interventions by the up government like the what is that uh, anti romeo squad and things like that there's all sorts of ways in which uh you know sanghi agendas about dating romance heterosexuality are all sort of already in the process of deciding what the ideal family and the ideal couple look like so in the context where you know uh, romantic and uh, sexual encounters are being so heavily policed when there is very stringent anti-muslim demonization at every level and population is one of the uh, you know uh, one of the bogeymen that constantly circulates if you've seen sanghi whatsapp groups it's almost always these numbers that are peddled that in 2050 muslims will outnumber hindus by this much if the muslim birth rate continues and so on and so forth so in in, in some level it's you know you're looking at um, you're looking at a very sort of uh, islamophobic society uh, deep socio economic deprivations uh, combined with this heavily policed gender you know uh, cultural gender norms um, that already make this a very toxic environment where marriage and you know romance are already politicized in that context then when you also start putting controls and measures on how a family is to be constituted um, there is no way you're not tapping into these exact same caste religious gender norms uh all sorts of questions about who's having children what caste are they what religion are they will continue to guide how and where these population control measures are enforced and i mean even if you think about the fact that you know i think i was reading a funny statistic in a news article as i was reading up for this episode um that apparently in in up more than anywhere else in the country it's actually abstinence which is the most effective birth control method so in some ways the 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 measures that this population bill is talking about about is addressing things that may not even be a factor yeah, right? See, yeah. like i i just uh, while we were talking i opened the list of states and union territories in india by their fertility rate and it just mm-hmm. so happens that if you look at look across right mm-hmm. uh, the fertility rates are sinking at a like uh, like we will soon be at 2.1 throughout the country yes. like uh, if we look at uh, 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 uttar pradesh right now uh, it's uh, it has sunk constantly uh, from 2000, 1981 to 2017 and there is no reason why it won't keep sinking like yes. every other state which yeah. my fear is that yes. you know this attempt to uh, demonize uh, population instead of treating it as a symptom of other social forces which it is yes. also is an extremely you know it's used in ethno nationalist politics it's used in anti migration politics it is used yeah. in anti worker politics Mm-hmm. you see the racism against workers from up in south indian states 
where mm -hmm. uh, you know this language of hordes from the north and all is often and, used. And the, the Bihari immigrant is a real, real demonized character and figure. Yes, in yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, which is uh, which is hilarious, right? Because uh, a, it's not that uh, you know these states are producing people to be shipped shipped off everywhere, and b, some of these demonized states like West Bengal, for example, which is often demonized as well it it is yeah. it has a fertility rate of 1.6 and even yeah. the states which have a larger fertility rate as we have mentioned again and again and again population by itself is not a bad thing it is something that uh, yes. one uh, one reg one regulates as soon as you know everything else in your society gets regulated including economic factors trying it's to it's also this constant uh, the, the way that we assume that the government is handling resources just fine it's the fact that we have a huge population that is the problem you know that um, the, the the resource management or so the the so called sort of deprivation models that need to be improved um, the onus is entirely on the fact of numbers of people rather than you know the fact that the state itself mismanages resources there's no political will to actually ensure you know uh, people's well-being and human development and I, so I think that this needs to be finally again affirmed that population by itself is not a bad thing. Malthus was wrong. Uh, attempts to stamp population growth through coercion leads to horrible results, all from a, uh, an unbalanced uh, population with too many old people. Yes. With uh, these policies, uh, 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 essentially being used to target minorities and target poor people, target migrant workers, etc. So and I'll, on I'll also end on a hilarious note because uh, one Muslim committed, I think his name is Qureshi, had actually written this, which is that actually the, the problem is socioeconomic indicators. And if you want to talk about Muslim birth rates, it is definitely an indication of the fact that their development indicators are very skewed. Uh, you know, uh, Muslims in UP have actually had huge socioeconomic barriers to, uh, to improving their lives. So if you were to improve their lives and the Muslim birth rate would automatically sort itself out, then this law is actually going to be more objectionable to Hindus who, you know, will see this as an infringement of their rights to reproduce as much as they'd like. So in some ways, this, this idea that, you know, the, the, the target being these deviant minority religious groups um, is, is, you know, who don't practice contraception or whatever, that often seems to be the narrative, um, is, is actually extremely flawed. Because if socioeconomic indicators were to improve across the board, um, then this population control law would not be hindering any, you know, uh, would not be, sorry, impacting, uh, would be impacting all groups across the board equally rather than just you know improvement so on that note we wish our audience good night and we will see you again soon yes goodbye stay safe